0: Welcome to Redeeming Disorder, a podcast about understanding the mental health journeys of individuals to redeem the disorder in our collective humanity. Hello, and welcome to this rainy, impromptu, totally off-the-cuff episode of Redeeming Disorder. And happy summer solstice, the longest day of the year, where we celebrate Father-Son, and where it's been one year since I revamped this podcast, since I came back and started releasing episodes again. And I did so with a barn burner, with a six hour plus podcast about meditation and spirituality and so many of the things that are fundamental to my passions and my life. And in the years since, I've done a lot of thinking about what I'm really doing in this podcast, let alone what I'm really doing in life. (laughs) But in this podcast, You know, sometimes it feels like I'm a medium through which you can hear others' vulnerabilities and stories and journeys through mental health difficulties, and it is that. That's the main thing it is. But as far as what I add to the podcast, you know, I'm certainly not an expert in this stuff, in mental health, or even in meditation or spirituality or anything, really. I'm not an expert in anything, and I don't claim to be. And so it's not me telling you how to live or advising you. It is me sharing perspectives, and those perspectives have been informed by a lot. A lot of conversations and research about mental health, and a lot of practice, a lot of meditation, a lot of plant medicine work, all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, my perspective is just my perspective. Who knows how valuable it's going to be for you? (laughs) Hey. Am I bothering you? Do you hear me? Do you are you hearing me? Okay, good. Yeah, I just want to make sure I'm not being too loud. <laughs> I'm recording a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you going for dinner? Oh, cool. Okay. That is a fellow guest of the Airbnb I'm staying at, which is An amazing, amazing place. And by the way, I might ramble. That's what happens when I have an impromptu podcast that I don't plan or outline or anything. It goes all over the place, and you're along for the ride. But uh, hey, stop listening whenever. I'm assuming if you're along for the ride, you're interested. And so anyway, I was talking about how I'm not sure what this podcast is. If it's me sharing perspectives, or if it's me giving advice, it certainly is not that or if it's me being a medium through which to share vulnerable stories it certainly is that but what it also is to me is sharing inspirations and i've found a lot of inspiration in the last few days of staying at the airbnb where i'm staying in southern ecuador alongside many other guests like the one you probably didn't just hear but you heard me talking to her there are a lot of people here and some people are staying in like cabanas and stuff but i'm in this like 8 foot by 9 foot room, sharing a wall and a kitchen and a bathroom with some folks, and surrounded by nature. I'm surrounded by vegetation, fruit trees, bushes, all manner of life. I couldn't even enumerate the tip of the iceberg of what's here. I'm just surrounded by sheer beauty and by permaculture. Permaculture being a lot of what's inspiring me right now, and making me want to record this podcast, and making me reflect that a lot of what this podcast is, is just that, me sharing inspirations with you. Sharing the things that move me in the hopes that it might move some of you. And with the knowledge that it will not move many of you. But the many of you it doesn't move have probably already tuned out. And I'm not catering this podcast to a wide audience. I'm not blasting these episodes out on Twitter or any social media. I'm just talking to those of you who have been along for this whole ride. And I see you week after week or month after month along for this ride, listening to whatever nonsense or maybe useful stuff I have to share and my guests have to share. And so you're the people I'm making this podcast for. I'm making this podcast for those of you who are intrigued and interested and maybe inspired. And because it's you I'm sharing this for, just that niche, just the people that really connect with what I'm sharing, that really are picking up what I'm putting down, because it's for you. I like to just throw an episode like this up there that's totally my own ramblings and my own reflections and my own inspiration and what I'm up to and let you come along for this ride because another thing that this podcast is is a chronicle it's a chronicle of what i'm up to and how i'm thinking and how i'm talking and how that evolves over time which it surely will it has a lot so far and it will much more i have no doubt i often look back on past episodes and am surprised by the way i was thinking or the way i was talking and Would have said things differently if given the opportunity, given more experience, given more age and maturity and knowledge, but what I'm putting out there into the ether, and that's kind of how I think about it, because once you put something on the internet or type it into your smartphone or whatever, it's out there. It's forever. People might be listening to this in 2500 or 3000 AD, if we even think about years that way at that time. And... So in that sense, it's kind of just a picture of where one guy is at a particular time for anyone who cares to listen. And so, what am I doing? That is the question. I am at this Airbnb in this small room, which is mostly filled by my two massive suitcases because I brought, you know, essentially the fundamentals of my life to Ecuador. I brought The podcast gear, the mics, the computer, a couple weeks worth of clothes, five to ten books, some journals, and that's pretty much it. So this coming to Ecuador and not knowing how long I'm staying in Ecuador has kind of been an exercise in minimalism. I've come to terms with these things that I've brought being all that I will possess for a while. And so... I've got my bags in this room, and I'm surrounded by beauty and nature, and that's what I want to share with you. I want to share with you what I've been learning about permaculture and what I've been exploring. I mentioned at the end of the last episode that part of why I was coming here and what I wanted to do was exploring permaculture. I was very inspired by the movie Kiss the Ground. And by some research I did and some conversations I had with people who have done permaculture and had regenerative farming or gardens or other uses of land which are healing for the land, and you could argue for the people as well. And based on all of that, I chose to stay here at this permaculture garden Airbnb here in this town I'm in. We're just going to call it Hippie Town, Ecuador, but... Uh, There are many things here that I want to do and that take their inspiration from permaculture and from what I'm learning from this guy Phil and from the land here, from all the life and vegetation growing around me. So I don't necessarily want to rehash stuff that you could look up easily on your own or stuff that you would learn from a movie like Kiss the Ground, but... I guess the basics of permaculture, and this really cool reframe, or this reframe that's inspiring me of agriculture and farming, is that the way to heal the earth, and to usher in a new earth, and to heal humanity even, and our food supply, and our health, which is intimately connected with the health of the planet is to rethink our relationship with land and with growing food and crops. We often think of ourselves as separate from nature, and I mentioned this in the last episode, that we tend as humans to compartmentalize things and look at nature as something separate from us, something that we manipulate, something that we use, something that we maybe work with in order to get what we want. And this is manifested in traditional agriculture, deforesting land that's forested, or if it's not forested, just setting it up to plant only one crop, and often to use chemicals and tilling and all manner of destructive practices in handling the land in order to extract from the land and from nature what we want, which tends to be profit. So if you look at American farming it's all this monocropping it's all of this relationship to the land that's based on a profit motive and based on trying to extract value from the land to sell the crop to make the crop grow as well as possible even if it means harmful pesticides even if it means genetically modified foods whatever it means basically I feel as if there's a rule of thumb that every time we try to manipulate nature and get a little more out of it, we pay a price. And it's often a hidden cost that creeps up on us later. For example, the stuff I talked about in episode number 23 with the industrialization and processing of food and how that's affected our jaws and how that's affected our gut biome and how that Our gut biome and our hollow biome, microbiome, is intimately connected to our mental health. So, all this stuff connects, and that's why it's been challenging doing this podcast focused on mental health, because it's hard to talk about mental health without talking about physical health, mind-body connection, and our collective health. It's hard to talk about an individual's mental disorder, without looking at that individual's psyche and how it's been influenced by culture and how they relate to the broader context they're living in. And therefore, it's hard to talk about mental disorder without talking about our collective disorder. I'm not sure how you could not see the disorder that surrounds us. All of these issues, all of this conflict, all of this tension, anxiety, everything we're going through and everything we're going to be going through, it's connected. It's not just one issue. It's not just one cause. But it is all of us. And we are nature. So it does all go back to nature and our relationship with nature. Are we separate from nature, trying to get what we need out of nature? Or are we ourselves nature? I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. I don't like when people ask rhetorical questions that have an obvious answer so my bad for doing that but obviously i think it's the latter we are nature and permaculture it corroborates that vision and it views people who take care of the land who are stewards of the land and who grow food not as users of the land but as earth keepers as guardians of the land We are the part of nature that's sentient and intelligent and knows how to work with the land to help the ecosystem. Just as humans can be a force of destruction on the planet, and as we have been, we can be a force of healing. If you take, for instance, the land that I'm on at this Airbnb, Phil and Suzanne, when they bought this land, it was just barren hills, basically. A tree here or there. But pretty much just dead grass and depleted soil that had been depleted by the types of farming practices that have gotten us into this pickle. And if they had bought the land and then just left it alone, the land would have healed eventually. This is what Phil told me today. The land would heal. It does heal. Earth naturally heals itself. But it takes a long, long time. It would be probably 500 years. Before this land, if left to itself, developed the type of biodiversity that it currently has. And it could even be more. It could be a thousand years. It would start with pioneer trees, uh, which typically have like spikes and thorns and are resistant to predators and threats. And then more trees might eventually come. And eventually it would get to some type of forest. And as a forest arose, then vegetation and crops and flowers and bushes could arise. Because as Phil and permaculturists point out, trees are the primary engine for an ecosystem. Trees are the primary engine for soil microbiology, which is the basis of all the life that comes from the soil. All the things that grow from the soil, and therefore, indirectly, all of the sentient life that consumes those plants, and all the life that gets supported from the earth. So, I mean, if you consider this whole chain holistically, trees, soil and microbiology, plants and edible foods, and beings, humans, animals... It's all part of the same chain. I mean, this is just like Lion King, Kumbaya, circle of life crap that I'm telling you. It's not news, it's not profound, but it's unappreciated. We know this, but I don't think we take in the importance of it. Because if we take in the importance of it, we realize that we are nature. We are the earth, we're part of the earth. If you were looking at the earth from the moon or from space, You wouldn't see this lifeless, inanimate rock with a bunch of living things all over it. You would just see this entity, this globe, and we're a part of that. We're not separate from it. We might be able to go to space, and that's pretty dope. But, you know, as cool as Elon Musk's plans may be, I am here for the billionaire that comes along and wants to make the Earth great rather than getting us to Mars and escaping the Earth as we destroy it. And permaculture has showed me that that's possible. It really is. If you take climate change, for example, a lot of the issue with climate change is loose carbon and emissions filling up the atmosphere, global warming, what have you, or just climate change, erratic weather. And it just so happens that A healthy land, a healthy soil, and healthy vegetation absorb carbon. So, while it's all well and good to try and reduce our emissions and get to cleaner forms of energy and all of this, I think it's actually a lot more important to heal the land. Because if you look at tilling, for example, one of those practices I mentioned that is harmful in traditional agriculture and farming, it takes all of this topsoil and just throws it into the air, takes the carbon that's stored in the soil, puts it into the air, and destroys the soil's ability to absorb that carbon and to use that carbon and to use micronutrients and microbiology to sustain life. So it's a double whammy. Not only are we putting crap into the atmosphere and reducing the soil's ability to contain carbon where it belongs, But we're also destroying the very health of the soil, which is where the nutrients and the health of food comes from. Whether it's plants or animals, animals are eating grass. Grass comes from the soil. So in much of America and much of modern developed countries and much of the spaces where we have farmed in an unwise way, we've decimated the nutrients of the soil, we've killed the soil, and therefore we've killed the nutrients of the food that comes from it. So I mean, this is likely an explanation for why people often feel they're eating healthy and doing all the right things. Maybe they're following a diet, maybe something like what I shared in episode number 23, but they still feel like crap. And it's probably because of the sourcing of the food and because the soil's dead. So, what do we do? I'm still learning, and I'm still very nascent in this process, but what I have gleaned and what I learned today, touring this beautiful place where I am, and learning how Phil and Suzanne do permaculture and grow food, is that with the new approach to agriculture and cultivation that is permaculture, we can heal the land. We can heal ourselves. We can restore biodiversity and in in much better time than 500 years or how long it would take for the earth to do it itself. We can plant trees, which are the primary engine for the microbiology of the soil. And we can combine different plants and bushes synergistically that complement each other. You know, flowers that attract good pollinators and other flowers that repel pests. And put all these things in such a way with trees throughout that allows land that would take hundreds and hundreds and maybe even thousands of years to heal, to heal in maybe a decade. And so, yeah, that's really cool. And I think it's the future. I think it's how we solve a lot of our problems, how we restore a balance with nature and an integration with nature being nature and become the stewards and the earth keepers of the earth that we can be. To bring it back to life and restore both our health and the planet's health. And so this is very cool that people are doing all these things, but how does it pertain to me? I'm just a guy who came to southern Ecuador and loved it and then came back this summer and am setting up roots to start a future here, to live here eventually, part of the year at least. And I don't have a background in any of this stuff. So it might seem a little bit out of left field and a little bit of a 180 to be suddenly exploring all of this and wanting to do this. But it actually fits with so much of what I've been through and the journey that I've been on and what I want to bring to the world. So going back to one year ago when I shared... A long-ass podcast about meditation and my passions and spiritual exploration. As I've walked that path, as I've practiced, as I've seen the healing powers of meditation and the potential of these things and these practices, I've often had a dream of opening a retreat center of teaching. I mean, I have taught. I've taught in groups. I've taught on Instagram Live. I shared guided meditations on this podcast. If you're listening to this, you've probably listened to that. If you haven't listened to that, go ahead and check it out. But that vision always felt just a little bit hollow because you know, I'm not I wasn't ever sure like what I have to offer that isn't already out there and what would be different and how it would truly offer value that others aren't already offering, right? Cuz I mean, do we really need more meditation teachers? Like I thought about this even when I was on Instagram live last summer teaching meditation. I thought, you know, I'm not sharing anything new, really. Like, I learned all of this in Nepal and from monks and from reading and from Buddhism and from working with plant medicines and from my own exploration. I'm really just paying these things forward. You're perfectly capable of exploring these things on your own. So, what's the value add? And at that time, I thought the value add was just that if I'm popping up on people's feeds you know, giving you an opportunity right in front of you to leave chaotic Instagram behind and start meditation, learn how to meditate, then I could be the kick in the butt for a lot of people to start meditating. And they could have started meditating in any number of other ways, but maybe I'm the way they did start and maybe that has benefits. And I think it has. I definitely don't regret having done that, but I knew even while I was doing it that that wasn't the way I was going to really make my mark in the world. That wasn't my life purpose. And so I sat with that. I kept practicing. I got back to podcasting and writing and finishing my thesis and all the things I'm doing in life, which is like (sighs) too many things. It's crazy. I think I've just bit off a piece of about a thousand different projects and pursuits And it's certainly more than I can chew. And I've had to remind myself just to be patient and do one thing at a time. But there was still this inkling to have some kind of center, to have some kind of retreat center, to start something in this realm, to share these practices and to help others to heal in the ways that I've healed and am still healing. The path isn't over, and I don't know if it ever is. But I've walked it far enough to see the importance. To see the potential and to be inspired to share it. But again, what am I doing if I'm just sharing it, if I'm just sharing what I've learned? I'm just paying stuff forward, right? And when I came to Ecuador the first time, I suddenly saw how these different pieces might fit together and how that vision to share these practices and teach meditation and whatnot could combine with a return to nature that I feel the world needs. And I actually had that vision on ayahuasca. (laughs) So um, when I first came here, the first thing I did was go on an ayahuasca retreat. And I talked about that on the podcast. I talked about what I was doing in uh, Quito and then Tena and then an hour hike into the Amazon jungle from Tena in working with plant medicine and doing this retreat. And I didn't really share any of the insights and Experiences of that retreat on this podcast because it was just way too much. I mean, it was like years and years of insights and understandings about why I'm here and what I'm doing on earth and where I'm headed in a matter of like a week. You know, it was uh, six ayahuasca ceremonies in uh, eight days, and it just put me through the ringer. I mean, it was something else. It was incredibly intense. And I figured, you know, I'll take what I've taken from it and journal and video journal for myself, but no need to throw a ton of stuff on the podcast or speculate as to what it all means because, frankly, I didn't know and I still might not. It's still unfolding. It was so much that came to me during that time that I'm still processing it. But one thing that did come to me was this vision. This vision for how all these pieces could fit together. Sharing ways of cultivating awareness like meditation, returning to the earth, healing the earth, healing others, and humanity. And the vision was to start an organization that combines all of this and uses permaculture as a backdrop and a context for a retreat center. And... Now, in Ecuador for the second time, exploring, I'm finally seeing how that can come to fruition. And it's really exciting. So I'm looking at pieces of land, and I'm looking to find a piece of land where I could build this retreat center, do permaculture, and create a cashless retreat where people can come, and in exchange for the retreat, and for room, and board, and food... They can work the land and they can do the permaculture because permaculture is a lot of work. And uh, today I took this tour of Phil's permaculture garden, and as incredible as it is, it's pretty much at the biggest scale that only one or two people can handle because it's not maximizing for efficiency, it's not running through the fields with the plow, it's not tilling through the fields. Plowing your way through monocropping, using pesticides, maximizing the profit in the bottom line. It's a different intention. It's not the profit motive behind permaculture. It's the motive to, yes, grow food and sustain ourselves and maybe sell that food, but first and foremost, to regenerate the earth and to live in harmony with nature and with the land. And so Phil's able to do that beautifully here. But to do it on a bigger scale and on more land, it would require more labor. And so this inspiration that I've had here in the past few days as far as it crystallizing is to give people the opportunity to come on retreat and to heal the land as they heal themselves and receive healing through all these means of healing that I've been exposed to. And now sitting here in southern ecuador on the eve of the summer solstice these ideas are finally crystallizing into a vision that i can actually see and that i think is going to be pretty awesome and that is also going to be personally very meaningful to me given my experiences and my passions and my identity because A big part of both the niche that I'd like to fill in permaculture and retreat and my own personal journey and neuroses and psyche has to do with gender and with the fact that when you look at healing the earth and when you look at this beautiful movement to regenerate the earth and return to nature, it is pretty feminine. We talk a lot about Mother Nature, we talk a lot about Mother Earth, and this certainly is no knock against any of that, it's beautiful and inspiring, but it does hurt me, as someone who identifies as a man and as masculine, that I don't see more men stepping up to do this type of thing. I typically don't see men invited or feeling welcome. To the Save the Earth party. And so, this is a lot of what ayahuasca showed me over the course of my journeys and my ceremonies with ayahuasca. First, in the first ceremony, oh, that first ceremony in Ecuador, holy shit. It showed me and it took me through all of my neuroses about gender. And like, you know, everyone's neuroses are different. We all have a different psyche. For some people, race might be a big thing. For some people, class might be a big thing. Or their traumas, their particular experiences might be a big thing. For me, gender has always been a big thing. And I could talk for hours about, you know, how my childhood factors into that. And all that has played into this complex, but suffice to say, 90% plus of my personal neuroses and the types of challenges that come up when I work with psychedelics are to do with gender. And particularly in this realm of spirituality and spiritual practices, I feel it a lot because just as this movement to heal the earth is fairly feminine Spirituality in America and contemporary spirituality and spiritual practice in general are pretty feminine. Ayahuasca, even, is feminine. Ayahuasca is a feminine plant spirit. And from the perspective of many, awakening is feminine. Meditation is feminine. And this always was really hard for me because I identify as masculine. And that has never changed. I've always identified as masculine. I identified as masculine when my mom was hanging out with Gloria Steinem and Jane Fonda and putting busts of her... (laughs) We won't get into that. But um, including colorful decorations in our home and incessantly and aggressively preaching an intense brand of feminism and kind of making me hate myself as a guy. Um, I guess this kind of segues from the last interview. This wasn't my intention when I started recording this, but uh, that's what happens when you don't plan what you're recording and when you're just impromptu. So I did mention that, you know, my mom and I have had rifts over the years, and uh, this is a lot of what it's been about. It's It's been about how I really felt this deep sense growing up of, my maleness being bad and it being a bad thing that I'm male and that I needed to almost like grow out of it, grow out of how my mom and many people, frankly, in society and culture construe men and masculinity. I mean, we use phrases like toxic masculinity. We have slogans like the future is female. And this has all been extremely triggering for me, extremely difficult. And I know that that's there for reasons. I know that there's many sides to any story. And uh, if you look at history, and even if you look at present day in most of the world, women deal with a lot of bullshit, right? So all of these ideas and constructs are there for reasons. And, you know, I don't disagree with a lot of those reasons like if you look at the earth and not necessarily america at this point in modern developed cities but if you look at the globe and cultures all around the world there is still a huge need to empower women and to deconstruct harmful notions of masculinity that get in the way of peace and cooperation and um, there's a great book about this called half the sky i'm aware of its importance and this trend i've had dreams about it i've had extremely vivid dreams where i got visions into this rise in femininity and feminine power and goddess culture and uh yeah this one particular dream just stands out like i i went into this room where my mom and my dad were And my dad was in kind of like a military garb. And there were a lot of other military people there. And my mom was there too. And they were talking about these like deep, archetypical unfoldings of humanity and trends. And then this picture of... (laughs) I'm not a Christian, but this picture of Mary Magdalene came. And it wasn't like a voice or a thought, but it was this message that said the dawning of the goddess and it was basically to say and actually it did say because i ended up talking to my dad in this dream that there are going to be massive intense crazy shifts with regard to gender in my lifetime i mean there already have been we're already seeing it but in this dream my dad basically told me From the male perspective, from the perspective of a guy who's having a hard time with this stuff, things are going to get worse. They're going to get worse before they get better. There is this strong trend of female empowerment, and it's going to ripple into everything. It's rippled into companies, into corporations, into government, and it will more in the future. It'll ripple into maybe even police all layers of i would say certainly america but beyond that modern developed cities in the western world basically and that dream and that message dovetailed with what i went through in this first ayahuasca ceremony in ecuador because in this ceremony i was basically shown all of my neuroses and all of my fears and insecurities about you know where do i stand as a guy and how do i fit into this and what that ayahuasca ceremony consisted of was basically living in all these fears living in like the worst case scenario worst fear of my deep psyche of like men being totally enslaved and my identity being completely harassed and attacked and denigrated from all angles and like resignation to all the worst that i could possibly fear about gender and along these lines and i had dealt with these fears before like i once talked on the podcast about the experience i had on ayahuasca of dying and the experience i had in this ceremony in guatemala of ego death and leading up to that was all of this. These same fears, this same stuff, but whereas in Guatemala it was all reaching this fever pitch of neurotic mind crap, and then I died, and then I came back, and everything was fresh, and it was beautiful, and it was this incredibly positive experience, in Ecuador there was no death. There was just sheer panic, and sheer fear, and terror as... I came to feel that not only were all my worst fears coming true, but I was stuck in that world forever. And I was never coming out of it. I was like in hell realms where I had no freedom and was restricted forever. And uh, I mean, I can never convey an experience with psychedelics through words on a podcast. The idea of doing that is... A little ridiculous and that's why i often hesitate to share these things but basically suffice to say this was the worst most difficult most unpleasant experience of my life by at least a factor of a hundred maybe a factor of a thousand uh like absurd proportions out of this world like i for a few days after the experience i really couldn't think of how to describe it other than hell, like my personal hell, and I was just in hell for a few hours. I was crying, I was screaming, and it was humbling as hell, because like at this point I had already had um, eight ayahuasca ceremonies, so this was my ninth ayahuasca ceremony, and I had cried, I had purged in various forms, I had dealt with my own dark stuff, I had seen my fears and my psyche and I had died you know I figured that if I had died that I had kind of been through the worst of it and I would be fine with whatever came my way and this was utterly humbling because I was so wrong this was yeah as I said hundreds of times worse than any other experience on psychedelics and any other experience in my entire life. Hundreds of times worse than starving on Survivor. Unfathomably terrible. (laughs) And if you're someone who's been interested in psychedelics and in trying this stuff, I hope I'm not scaring you away and sending you running for the hills. Uh, You know, it is worth knowing that these things are possible, and just as in the podcast I released one year ago... I said that meditation can take you into difficult territory and take you through what Buddhists call the Dukha Jnanas, what the Christian mystic St. John of the Cross called the Dark Night of the Soul. All of that stuff can happen with meditation, with yogic practices, and certainly with psychedelics, and certainly, certainly, certainly with ayahuasca. But I will say that these medicines, these plant spirits... And this might sound hokey to you, this might be getting into woo-woo territory, but this is just my perspective. As I said, this is my inspiration and perspective and what I feel like talking about, to those of you who feel like listening. So, what that is, is that these plant spirits and medicines are conscious, they're intelligent, and they give you what you need, and they give you what you're ready for. So... It's a very strong trend I've observed that they tend to be very gentle on beginners and they tend to be very harsh on experienced people, ayahuasqueros, whatever. If you're on a shamanic path or if you have a lot of experience with these medicines and you've done a lot of work, it doesn't mean it's coasting from there. It actually means the opposite. It means the work gets harder and deeper and you're dealing not only with your own stuff, but with family lineage stuff and broader humanity, archetypical stuff. And uh yeah, it gets it gets deeper and deeper. But if you're someone who's like contemplating working with plant medicine for the first time, I would take into account that these things are possible. I wouldn't ignore it, but I also wouldn't live in a place of fear that This is something you should worry about in your first time because it's very rare that something like this happens to someone the first time they try ayahuasca. But if you're just a curious traveler listening to this for shits and giggles, then that disclaimer is neither here nor there. And that's pretty much all I have to say about that first ayahuasca ceremony in Ecuador. This is what happened. I had these visions of how similar to what my dream said these trends and these difficulties that I've faced, you know, are here to stay and maybe even to get worse before they get better, to intensify as humanity as a whole reconciles with a massive shift in how we approach gender and how we identify and in our roles. So once I got a day's worth of time and space from that experience and that ceremony, it's not like I thought, oh, all of this is going to happen. This is prophetic. It's going to come true. But I do think it probably was something I needed to experience in order to psychologically be ready for what will happen, which will be dramatic and will be a lot of shifts. And if not in society, at least in my psyche, because you know everything that we experience is internal in a sense. Like You can have an external experience and things can be happening to you, But it's all interpreted by your mind, and it's only rendered sensible by your mind. And because your mind has some correlate, some internal correlate for the external phenomenon that is a part of your psyche, and in this case was a part of my psyche. So, I don't know the future, I don't know exactly what will shift in the world, I don't know exactly what will shift in me, but I know that this is a big part of it. And that first ceremony (laughs) showed me and ravaged me. And the second ceremony was also really rough. There was, again, a lot of fear. I didn't scream out and cry and freak out and think I was in hell like in the first ceremony, but it was, again, very rough. And I purged, I threw up, I got rid of a lot of gunk. But then, when I went on with that retreat in the Amazon... We had two days of ceremonies, kicked my ass, then we had a day off, then we get to the third ceremony, and in the third ceremony, this sense of self-love came that, you know, a lot of those neuroses kind of got yanked out of me, and I grappled with them, and I was finally coming to some peace, and I came to really love myself for getting through all that crap for walking this path as someone who identifies as masculine and reading Eckhart Tolle say that the ego is masculine and it's the energy of the mind and it's the thing that we're trying to transcend and move away from when we make spiritual progress, you know, basically equating spiritual progress to becoming more feminine. And to have walked the path amidst all of that and grappling with all that, reconciling with all that, I came to really love myself for doing that, because (laughs) it's been hard. (laughs) And the third and fourth ceremonies were kind of, you know, this nice settling and getting into a little bit more peace, a little more purging and a little more rough stuff as well, but finding some peace and finding some self-love. And then by the fifth and the sixth ceremonies in Ecuador, it was like a mirror image of the beginning of the retreat. So, as I mentioned, ayahuasca is a feminine plant spirit. And in the fifth ceremony, ayahuasca made this contact with me, unlike any contact I'd had with ayahuasca before. You know, I'd had all these experiences and visions and insights on ayahuasca before, but I had never, like, seen ayahuasca as an entity. We call ayahuasca, you know, grandmother. And there's all this gendered lore with ayahuasca, but I never really connected with that, and I always just kind of called it medicine and said, yeah, I guess it's a feminine spirit, but I haven't really felt that. Maybe it's just DMT. But in this fifth ceremony, I got this vision and this sense of the entity of ayahuasca, and it was this loving, caring mother that showed up it's hard to describe because it wasn't exactly a vision but it was this like felt sense of this feminine motherly presence that took me into her arms and said oh my god you have so much pain in you you have so much nonsense in your psyche and that's not me that's not truth that's you That's the things that are in you because of the culture you grew up in and the environment you grew up in and the people who impacted you. And you can let go of that shit. And this presence kind of like hugged me and held me. And it's hard to explain how amazing that felt. She just had such care for me and knew me better than I knew me. And that's how it is with plant medicine. It knows you fully, down to your subconscious, down to the stuff in you and in your mind and in your psyche that you're not even close to aware of. It knows it all, and she loves you anyway. She knows all your bullshit, all of your silly, selfish, childish motivations behind everything you're doing and everything you're saying. And all your crap and your beauty and your light and the best stuff of you and she just loves you and in that fifth ceremony ayahuasca saw all these neuroses in me all this pain and just held me and showed me that it was going to be fine and that not only were these difficulties not me and not something that needs to define me but having come through them i have something really unique to give to anyone who has had these struggles because i know there are a lot of people who have it's not just me i'm far from the only guy who has uh, struggled with these things and to steal a catchphrase from oprah Again, because <laughs> I think I already stole it in my interview with Jonas in episode number 39. But any pain we've been through, anything we've experienced, is something we can turn around into a gift, into light, and into something we can share. We can turn our pain into power. And in this ceremony, I realized I could turn my pain into power, and I could offer what I've learned. And create a retreat center and a space and a spiritual home or epicenter for this type of healing for people who have struggled with the things I've struggled with. Because just as women hold up half the sky, per that book Half the Sky, which I'll throw in the show notes, men can take care of half the earth. All of nature has masculinity and femininity in balance. Nature is masculine and nature is feminine. And so as we heal Mother Nature, I have this inspiration to start this organization called Father Nature that invites men to the party and allows them to come. And in exchange for room and board and food and the retreat, retreatants will work the land and heal the land as they heal themselves and so that vision and the name father nature came to me in that fifth ayahuasca ceremony alongside the incredible warm motherly presence of ayahuasca just embracing me and reassuring me that it's going to be okay and not only is it going to be okay with respect to all the stuff i've struggled with but the stuff i've struggled with is pain that i can turn into power And I have a tremendous amount to give. I have an awesome purpose on this earth and a beautiful calling to do this type of work. And I don't know exactly how it'll look. I don't know exactly how it'll take shape. But it's all just kind of crystallizing now as I return back to Ecuador and reflect on this ayahuasca retreat from the first time I came to Ecuador in the Amazon and on my desire to share both meditative wisdom and practices and retreat type healing and the healing of returning to nature and permaculture and existing in harmony with the land and with earth and bringing into harmony the masculine and the feminine because all of this stuff that the feminine is more spiritually awake and that Being male is bad. Being masculine is bad. It's all just cultural baggage. It's all just stuff in my psyche and in the psyches of others, and it's not truth. The truth is, just as life and death are flip sides of the same coin, which is something I realized in that ego death ceremony in Guatemala, masculinity and femininity are flip sides of the same coin, and we need each other. We have to work together. We have to get out of this spot where there's this stupid, adversarial gender war, similar to how there are wars around a lot of social issues and things that divide us. I realized through ayahuasca that we can move past all this. We can come together as a humanity, heal the earth, and heal ourselves. And I'm realizing now, in my second time in Ecuador, When I'll be here for longer and for the long haul, really, on a part-time basis at least, I'm realizing how to do it. How I can play my part in bringing humanity together, inviting men to this party, and healing the earth as we heal ourselves. So, yeah, (laughs) I'm just really excited about that, basically. And you know, I recently broke up with my girlfriend. I don't have anyone to talk to about this other than Phil and other than the people at this Airbnb. And now as I sit by my room and it rains, you know, I'm just sitting here alone, feeling inspired and figuring why not throw this on the podcast? Why not say where I'm at, what I've been through, what excites me and where I'm going because if you're listening to this especially now this long into this i didn't think this would be a long one by any means but if you're listening to this at this point you're connecting with me on some level (laughs) you're either triggered and hating what i'm saying or you're connecting with it in a deep way and i do want to hear from you in either case because this idea and this inspiration of mine is totally nascent it's very young it is not blooming yet, and it won't be blooming for a while. There's a lot to do and a lot to set up. And so, if what I'm saying is upsetting you, if maybe you're feminine or you're a woman and you feel excluded by this, I want to hear that. And, you know, I want to take that into consideration. If, try as I might, I just can't get as many men as women interested in this, then maybe I need to change tact. But if on the other hand, you're a guy and you're really connecting with what I'm saying, I want to hear that too. And if you have any ideas of your own, if you want to be informed as soon as I'm up and running in <laughs> like five years or however long this takes, it'll take a while. Um, but if you want to be in the loop about it, I want to hear that too. So reach out to me if this is resonating with you or affecting you in any which way. And however it's affecting you, or not, I hope you have an awesome summer solstice. The summer solstice is the longest day of the year. It's associated with the sun and the masculine as a corollary to how the winter solstice is the longest night of the year associated with the moon and the feminine. And so, yeah, this just feels right. This just feels like the time to express some of the stuff I'm going to be doing a lot more, not just in terms of permaculture and retreat centers and what I'm offering and what I'm creating, but in terms of content as well, in terms of video journals of my experiences with ayahuasca. I've recorded a lot of those, and at some point I'm going to put together a journey of everything I've worked through and what my path has looked like and what my challenges have looked like, because uh, circling back to what we're actually here for, redeeming disorder. As I've said before, if I'm going to ask guests of this podcast to be vulnerable and share what's meaningful to them and the difficulties they've been through, I have to walk the walk and follow that example as well. I have to be vulnerable and tell you the real deal. And so I'll be doing a lot more of that into the future, in this podcast and beyond. I'm also, as of yesterday, going to be working with ayahuasca again pretty soon. I loved the place I went for retreat last time. The shamans there were just genuine, totally legit medicine men, and my experience was profound and clearly shook up a lot in me and inspired a lot and opened up a lot, and so I'm really excited to head back there and do a shorter retreat. I'm (laughs) I'm not game for another six ceremonies i'm not even sure if i'm game for the three ceremonies that i'll be doing but i will be doing three ceremonies of ayahuasca in mid-july in a five-day retreat so a shorter retreat and so i figure if i'm about to jump into the medicine work again i may as well do some reflection on the medicine work i've done share that with you And there was so much more. There always is so much more beyond what I could possibly share. If you've worked with psychedelics and tried ayahuasca, you know this. If not, you can just take my word for it that there is no way to convey the infinitely dimensional experience of this work with words and with stories and on a podcast. But trying to do so has some use because It's me being vulnerable and telling you my path, what I've been through, and it's also me spreading what has helped me and what's been important for me. And in the context of that last ayahuasca retreat I did here in Ecuador, it really was that self-love I arrived at. The love that ayahuasca came and showed me with that motherly presence, and then the love that I just found in myself. Because one thing you learn over the course of medicine work is that it's a co-creation it's not just the medicine taking your psyche and showing you stuff i mean it is in a sense because the medicine's definitely in charge and definitely dictating the experience the experience and the journey is on ayahuasca's terms but the content of that experience is a co-creation between the medicine and one's own psyche And so what I was left with in the sixth and final ceremony was a felt sense of that love for myself that I got from ayahuasca, no longer coming from the mother that held me in the fifth ceremony, but instead coming from my own self and my natural state of loving myself. And that is our natural state. We have gone far from that. Some people who are Jungian and have studied archetypes and psychology and contemporary culture and modernity have made the point that there's a lot of shame in our culture, and in America and modern developed cities and industrialized places in the world, you might construe it as a culture of shame. We are not connected to each other in the ways that we evolved to be. We evolved to be Social creatures embedded in a web and network of relationships, communal, seeing each other all the time, right? And that's such a stark contrast to the modern developed world, which is compartmentalized and which allows us to hide sides of ourselves from anyone, really. I mean, we have different sides that we use professionally and with our family and with our lovers and with our friends and with our podcast audiences. And with anyone in our lives, you know, it's a different person that we're bringing to each of those tables. But in the past, and still today, in indigenous cultures and in cultures that have held on to their ancestral wisdom, worked with plant medicines, cultures like the one in which I've done this ayahuasca work in the Amazon and to which I'm returning, It's kind of all out in the open. They see each other in all kinds of different contexts. They're not hiding stuff. They don't have this compartmentalized, fractured self divided between all these different relationships. And they're embedded in a web of relationships with their family and with their broader families and with their friends, which feel like family when you're that close and when you're that communal and familial. So it's a whole other world. And it's a model of living in harmony with nature and with each other that was so beautiful for me to witness in January of this year and I'm sure is going to be beautiful to be embedded in once again in just under a month. And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to feeling that love. I'm looking forward to my vision and what I'm creating here in Ecuador and what I'm doing with my life, and what I'm creating as far as content. I'm so excited for all of it. I'm so excited to share it with you. Uh, But as far as what I've shared with you today, (laughs) I apologize that perhaps there isn't a ton of use in it. You know, there's not like distinct takeaways or advice or a show notes that's as lengthy and extensive and useful as the one from last week which by the way, definitely check all that out from the Harvard implicit bias test that you can take to books like The Body Keeps the Score. The show notes from last week in my interview with Sade Kamen are a treasure trove of awesome resources. So if nothing else, this podcast, this solo cast, this obnoxiously long monologue can at least serve to remind you that that's there. But beyond takeaways, I hope that Me sharing what I've been through and what's been resonant for me and challenging for me and meaningful to me can be meaningful to you on some level or at least be an invitation for introspection. We are all one and none of us struggles with anything that is totally alien to everyone else in the world. So anything I've been through and anything I've felt is felt on some level by others perhaps by you, perhaps by some of you. And the ways I've come through it may be useful for you. I'm just about sharing, sharing others' vulnerabilities when they're willing to share it, sharing my vulnerabilities, sharing my inspirations, and sharing what has guided me along my path and what has been healing. And so much of that is that self-love that I've just tapped into fairly recently on my path i mean it's not like a binary where after this ayahuasca ceremony i loved myself and before the final ayahuasca ceremony i hated myself it's been a gradual progression and growing in self-love but as i've gone through that gradual progression i've realized how incredibly important it is that we love ourselves and that we value ourselves and so if i don't impart anything else to you in this solo cast, I hope I impart the message and the invitation to love yourself. If you're looking for a way to put this into action and to practice this, there was a guided meditation in my series of guided meditations focused on self-love and on love of others, Metta, it's called. It's guided meditation number four in the series of guided meditations, which I released last December 2020. So if you're feeling inspired to cultivate some self-love and some love in general for your loved ones, for neutral people, for strangers, and even for people you dislike, even for people you have difficulties with, that meditation is well worth checking out. I see the listener numbers, and I see how many people have listened to every meditation, and so there's a trend that you would expect of the first meditation being the most, and then a steady, although only slight, which is good, decrease in listens as you go along the meditation series, and then an increase at the end, because the last meditation in the series is a meditation that pulls it all together and encapsulates all the techniques I teach in the series. So that has more listens. Meditation number 11, do-nothing meditation, has more listens. But another meditation that has more listens than the rest is number four, metta, And I didn't make that meditation intending for people to come back to it over and over again. But looking at the listener numbers, some people clearly have. And it warms my heart that they have. Because as much as mindfulness and vipassana and the types of meditation that lead to insight are fundamental and awesome. And I love sharing that stuff. I think metta is some of the most important, beautiful practice you can do. I believe that to love others, we have to love ourselves, and that we really have a mistaken notion of love in American culture and in a lot of modern media. Honestly this is a lot of why, (laughs) per the cringeworthy journey on Survivor Cambodia that you saw, I struggled with saying I love you to a girlfriend, and with just expressing love in general, because. It didn't really make sense to me and some of that was definitely me being an analytical guy caught up in his head not able to let down the emotional walls but some of it also was our culture and our weird ideas about love and what it is whereas our culture often mistakes love for attachment or possessiveness, or any number of the things you get into when you get into a monogamous relationship. Meta views love as a quality of the mind, and as something we cultivate, and as something we can give like a gift. But in order to give it, we have to have it. And in order to have it, we have to love ourselves. My first girlfriend in college, when we broke up, She wrote this long letter to me, you know, like a sweet, cutesy thing that you do when you break up with someone and talking about what you learned and, you know, caring for me just as a person and a fellow traveler of this crazy life. And one thing she wrote in it was that she didn't think I loved myself. And she was right. I hated myself. I despised myself when I was in college and through my early 20s and even when I was on Survivor. I had a lot of self-hatred, and she wrote that she hoped I would learn to love myself because she thought that in order to really love others, and in order for me to have loved her in the way she was hoping, or in the way she loved me, I would have had to love myself. To love others, we have to love ourselves. To give the gift of love and of meta. We have to cultivate self-love. And so, as I sit here on a rainy night in southern Ecuador, hippie town Ecuador, we're calling it, and as I nurse a little heartbreak from another breakup and tune back into that self-love that I've gotten in touch with through ayahuasca and through my path and my spiritual journey, I just want to share a little bit of that love with you, a little bit of my inspiration with you, and invite you to love yourself. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you might feel about yourself, whatever flaws you might see, whatever other people might bring up in you, however you might be reacting to this and what I'm saying, you are worthy of love. You're part of the human family. We're all a human race, one human race, and one human family. And we are all welcome, both in the future and in the now. And you can love yourself just as I do. And I love you too. (laughs) All right. Happy summer solstice. I hope you have a beautiful longest day of the year. And until you hear from me again, maybe after some more ayahuasca journeying, and definitely with more interviews, I hope you take care of yourself be filled with love for yourself, and be well. Hasta luego, and adios. Your love in my heart feels like the ocean breeze. Said your love in my heart feels like the ocean breeze.